It's the same with trailers. It's like, make sure you show absolutely everything so that absolutely everyone will want to come and watch it. It's like, don't just tease me. Mm. Just tease me. I think you've just shot down any chance we ever had of voicing the John Lewis ad. <laughs> well, it's not come out yet, so I could still yet be doing the song for that. I think that should be the, the pre... The uh, cold open. I was just going to say, like, just tease me. going <laughs> to clip that out. Hello and welcome to the Little Film Podcast. My name's Adam and I see myself very much as the front man of our four-piece. With me tonight, we've got Dave. Hello. On the bass, Ollie McVeigh. Howdy. Uh, and playing the triangle, Tony Kerr. Classic. How you doing? You right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the, what's his name, Alan Dave? Is it Alan Davis? On QI. Oh, from QI, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's the role I've been sort of pigeoned into. Yeah. Just the, the butt of every joke. Yeah. But about also like the, the sort of heart of the whole thing. Mm, and, yeah. and often makes the best points, so thanks. The, the dunce that kind <laughs> yeah. of says the, the stupid things. That, yeah. yeah. That'd make you the Sandy Totswig. <laughs> <laughs> Although ironically, you actually look like Stephen Fry. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, well, what are we here to talk about tonight? Bohemian Rhapsody, Adam. I thought you were going to say Bo Rap. <laughs> I was going to go Bo Rap. Bo Rap. Yeah, the, uh, the the biopic about Queen. Tone, do you want to let us know what, what screen you were in for, for this one? Screen two at the Mallard. Haven't been in there for ages. Good screen, it was it? It is tiny. Yeah. It is absolutely minuscule. Actually, there weren't that. There were probably, I don't know, 10 of us in there. We, we so, love the Mallard, though, don't we? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was great! No, it was a great time. They did a great job up there, didn't they? <laughs> All right, well, that's good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you had a reasonable cinema experience. You were saying before we started this that you think this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. I, for one, am very interested to to know what your guys, what you guys are going to score this as. Uh, but before we get into that, we should say, as ever, that we're going to do this with spoilers. But this is another true story, so to a certain extent, there's only so many spoilers you can give. Uh, but yeah, this is a review for for people who have seen the movie. But that being said, let me start with a, a, a quick synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes. Bohemian Rhapsody is a foot-stomping celebration of Queen, their music and their extraordinary lead singer Freddie Mercury, who defied stereotypes and shattered convention to become one of the most beloved entertainers on the planet. The film traces the meteoric rise of the band through their iconic songs and revolutionary sound, their near implosion as Mercury's lifestyle spirals out of control, and their triumphant reunion on the eve of Live Aid, where Mercury, facing a life-threatening illness, leads the band in one of the greatest performances in the history of rock music, in the process cementing the legacy of a band that were always more like a family and who continue to inspire outsiders, dreamers and music lovers to this day. I've noticed that whenever I do these, synop- these uh, synopses, you all just get your phones out and start, and start looking at <laughs> yeah. Just play Snake. Just start looking at Twitter. No, I'm, do- I'm doing like a read-along thing where I'm reading it as you're saying it. Yeah, I noticed your lips moving yeah, as yeah. I was doing it. I was just doing a little last-minute research, but there we go. <laughs> that does. <laughs> just watching the film. It looks like Angry Birds yeah. then. All right, Ollie, I think you're now going to I think you're now going to give us a, a flavour of how it's been received by the critics. So you've got the scores from the, the three big I movie do. websites. Uh, so IMDb current score 8.4 uh, 
Rotten Tomatoes' current score, 61%, and the current Metacritic score is 49%. Spread. Now, this is interesting, yeah, because they're, they're quite different. But So we've, we've given the IMDb score for every, for every film we talked about, but IMDb, it's the IMDb score... It's generated. User, it's user generated, it's user. right? So, so the other two are the critic aggregators. IMDb is the obviously the user score, but I'm sure there'll be critics in there as well who have scored it. You know, mm. contributed to that score. But, but obviously, it's, yeah, it's majority exactly. Just but it's quite interesting because film goers. generally speaking, all the films that we do, they te- the the distance between those scores tends to be a lot smaller. Mm. There's definitely much more of a spread. But that is, it's three. an interesting point with this film, and it's something we'll talk about. But that it does seem as though the kind of fan or sort of general cinema goer reaction has been much more positive than the reaction from the critics and even on Rotten Tomatoes as you say Ollie the score the critic score or the official Rotten Tomatoes score is 62% but the audience score so voted by people on the Rotten Tomatoes website is 94% so again a big big difference there and we saw something similar with Star Wars The Last Jedi but the other way around where critics liked it much more than uh, audience all right but now for the the big moment the moment of truth what have we made of it Ollie, you're desperate for me to come to you last so you can, I think, so you can hear what we all say <laughs> and then try and, so you don't embarrass yourself. I've got two scores in mind at the moment. I'm hovering between okay. them. A 10 <laughs> and a zero. <laughs> so the only two scores yeah, you give. Yeah. Uh, who wants to start? I can start, maybe. All right, Tony. But uh, I think this is the ultimate cop-out score, though. As far as scores go, okay. this is the king cop-out score. Out of 10? 7.5. Interesting. Dave? I've got a bigger King cop-out score than that. Five. Ooh. Which I'll justify. Okay. I'm going to go for seven. Ollie? Seven. So he's copied me. Yeah, we knew he was going to copy one of us, and he's copied Bayfield. <laughs> Can I just say at this point, my two scores, I mentioned there were two scores, was either six or seven. I've been hovering between the two. So I'm going to stick with seven. Seven was my initial after coming out. So you value their opinion more than you value mine. <laughs> yeah. If you'd won a film studies prize, mate, I might value your opinion a bit more. <laughs> okay, so where should we start with this? Can I, just, can I just raise something very quickly? Tony, I am really happy to hear you enjoyed it because... I remember when you watched the trailer, you basically said, there's no fucking way I'm watching that. <laughs> uh, I thought the trailer looked <laughs> desperate. I didn't watch it in the cinema, the trailer. I think I, I did actually seek it out or certainly it yeah. landed in, in my face when I had my laptop open. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. But I came out of the film. There's lots, <laughs> there's lots wrong with it. Yeah. There's lots of stuff that's a bit either really clunky or just, just way, I don't know, it's just way too light touch. But actually, yeah, I think, for me, uh, it got an extra point, definitely, just for the the, the end. Because I did like the way they just let the whole uh, the whole Live Aid thing just kind of play out almost. Uh, I don't know how long that sequence it's was. It's about 15, the end. 20 minutes, I think. Was it? Yeah. Like it's a great payoff. I mean, it's a, yeah, well, there's so much to get into. But uh, yeah, overall, I thought the payoff, yeah, you go out, the, you leave the cinema definitely with a good feeling. Yeah, it's... <sighs> This is why it's so tricky for me to score. And I think probably Dave as well, this is why you found it difficult to score because on terms of enjoyment, that's the majority of my mark because I really did enjoy it. But like you said, there is a lot, quite a few things maybe wrong with it and cinematically not great. But for pure enjoyment levels, I mean, I think it does, it's quite fluffy and it does brush over a lot of, probably brush over a lot of things. I saw one review for it, which described it as a two-hour Wikipedia entry, which is... That's literally the word I, uh, was the word I was going to use. It was like reading a Wikipedia yeah. page, but having it uh, 
but kind of visualized dramatized yeah really well i thought yeah, so I think yeah, you're 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 bang on. I really really enjoyed the film. I came out of it. I enjoyed it. I watched it with you guys, and everyone that we, else that we watched it with really enjoyed it. Mm. But I thought it was actually a rubbish film. Like it's naff. I think it borders on almost like a parody. It's not very dramatic. It's basically just like a tribute to Queen, mm. and because it's produced by the surviving members of Queen, it left me feeling really uneasy about it because it's all really feel good and easy for them to get to the top which i'm sure won't be the whole story and then the way those surviving members of queen are portrayed is basically as saints which again definitely won't be the entire story there and i feel like a lot of sort of freddie mercury's relationships were kind of dialed up or down as appropriate for the film so it left me feeling really awkward i really enjoyed it but i don't think it's very good the reason I went for a five is because I probably enjoyed it 7.5 amount, but I actually consider it in terms of quality like a 3.5. Yeah, I think, I think you've, I think you're definitely onto something there. I mean, like both of you, Ollie and Tony, like I think enjoy is a, is a key word. Like I did really enjoy it. I suppose they've got some quite good tools to work with there because just the music of Queen. I mean, one of my notes I've got here in my notes She's is like Queen. Queen are very good at music. Like it is, <laughs> it's just, it's quite unbelievable, and it's easy to forget or get quite blasé about how many unbelievably good songs they have. And I think, especially for us as well, like you know, obviously we're born in the eighties. Like we've grown up with these songs as just like part of the culture, like part of the fabric mm. of reality. Almost, it's 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 hard to imagine a world where those songs didn't exist. That was quite interesting to so, like. I I don't. I'm not like. I've always loved Queen, but I'm not like a big Queen fan. I've never really thought about like what order those songs came out in. Like that, Killer Queen was mm. a long time before um, Radio Gaga or whatever. So that kind of stuff was interesting. And, and Bohemian Rhapsody, particularly the song. I mean, it's just a banger, isn't it? And it's like it's one of the best songs ever written. And that was it was interesting to see, as you say, Dave, how far it's accurate. I don't know, but the way that it was written was quite interesting and quite fun and just yeah so the whole thing was very enjoyable and you leave in such a good mood because like there's got so many amazing songs that we don't even hear don't stop me now until the end credits but then you're sort of like dancing out of the cinema i mean it's (laughs) i'd love to have seen that it's uh you know it's got a lot going for it before it has to do anything else doesn't it yeah i was just gonna say actually i remember the first time i heard don't stop me now and i'm not like a massive queen fan particularly they're not necessarily a band i would listen i would kind of i've often sought out to listen to but it's probably because you've just heard the song so many times i know that but obviously i I do like them but yeah don't stop me now uh first time i heard it was on a a montage at the end of the world snooker championships in what you must have been about 1993 or four or something like that it was also Uh, a massive university anthem as well like that used to get played in student union mm. all the time and it's like you said it's amazing because they have such a range of music which is appreciated in so many different situations so like music lovers student unions like rock fans it's like a huge spread their tunes just seem to appeal to everyone one thing that i thought was quite clever or was quite good is that you'd get a quick blast of a track and then it would just they'd move on mm. and then you obviously you get that big payoff at the end as i mentioned with with the live aid gig the, the the bit i didn't like about the way the music's used is just the way it put well the way it's certainly in the film it portrays or it sort of introduces the big songs it'll be Freddie Mercury just sitting there and he'll just play like a couple of bits of yeah. piano and it'll be like the, the start of Bohemian Rhapsody or like one of the other guys will just be sitting around 
and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's quite good, isn't it? It was like another one bites the dust. Yeah, was, yeah. basically. Just, yeah. That was just, I, yeah, I just thought it was a bit clunky. I guess the only disappointment, like one of the main disappointments for out of it for me was that, especially after watching A Star Is Born, was that it was all mimed. So all the performances were mimed. And to be honest, they were, I'd say, mimed well. Like the actual mm. way the performances were done and shot and orchestrated were really good. But there's just something about, like with Walk the Line as well, where when the performances are actually them performing, just add so much more like authenticity to it and it, a lot more emotion to it as well. So I thought that let it down a bit. But I guess those songs would be quite hard for a band to effectively do covers of because freddie mercury had such a amazing voice yeah, such a brian distinctive may was voice such a great well, yeah. guitarist yeah. like so maybe it's harder to do it in that respect but i just felt it just detracted ever so slightly that it was mimed and not live performances but i think it fitted in with the sort of aesthetic of the film as a whole because it i suppose in a star is born that's quite sort of gritty and real in how it portrays things so having real performances made sense whereas with this it is all very sort of like glossy i can't remember if they actually make a joke of this or not in top about the fact that they have to mime on top of the pops mm. within the film but actually that's kind of like what the film is it's basically just theater it's yeah it's well no it's like an episode of top of the pops like just like them miming like songs that you absolutely love so you're like oh i don't really mind that that's what they're doing but it just being that kind of like very sort of sugar-coated performance. Yeah. Well, it kind of, it, it it borders on cynical, or I don't know if that's quite the right word, but it's like, it's so easy to get people emotionally invested or to get people to enjoy this film just because the music's so good. And it's maybe then you're more prepared mm-hmm. to forgive or you overlook the weaknesses. And in that respect, I feel like not following the story through. I know they've said that it's, you know, it's a story of like Queen, but it's kind of pretending like the story of Queen doesn't end where Freddie Mercury dies or even further beyond that when the band try and sort of crack on afterwards. Like that is surely like quite an interesting story. But instead they're just sort of at the end of the film, like, by the way, in one day finds out he's got AIDS, shacks up with the love of his life and goes and plays Live Aid. It's like, mm, yeah, well, that, that's not... That's not how the story ends. And it's to get people leaving the cinema going like, oh yeah, that was brilliant. Like I love the music of Queen. But again, I feel like it's like, it's not told me the whole story and the bits that they've told me up until that point feel at times just dishonest. And this is going to be controversial, but in some ways I feel the film is quite homophobic because the gay characters in it, other than Freddie himself, are portrayed in quite a negative light and like they're what, pulls the band apart and that his sort of band manager um i can't remember what the the guy's name is paul um is just sort of this sort of nasty gay man out to sort of destroy things and set freddie on the wrong path he's kind of led astray isn't he Yeah. yeah whereas up until that point he's in a sort of puritanical relationship and he's doing very well and i've i don't know how you how you feel about that because again i don't think that's the full story of of freddie mercury i don't think he was you know, led into becoming a homosexual. Like, I, I I felt uncomfortable with that as well. Do you think... I didn't really get that, really, from the film. I didn't feel like he was led into that. I think it was quite obvious that he always was unsure about his sexuality. Even the early days when he is straight and he's seeing... Um, what's the name? 
So Mary. When, when, Mary. Mary, yeah. Yeah, the love of his life. Even when he's shopping. <laughs> What's he, her when, name? <laughs> <laughs> but when he's shopping, you know, he goes to the shop, um, that clothes shop, and he wants all the, like, loud... Like, he, there's, there's definitely a sense that he's still working out his sexuality i think so i wouldn't say he was completely led astray by that guy well yeah but i think sort of what dave's saying is that when he starts to explore his sexuality and like starts to live as a gay man that that's when things go off the rails for queen as a band and for him in his personal life and that there's almost an implication that it's somehow Related. a bad thing to be gay but i i, I do know what you mean dave and i, I share your concerns that i think on the flip side though this is still a film about a gay icon that is like is quite a positive portrayal of freddie mercury's life and it is it, it's it, it's a, a, a gay central character who has a life that isn't completely about his sexuality it's not the whole film doesn't revolve around his sexuality some people might see that as a positive thing as well yeah i, I agree with that and i do think you know it's he is a positive gay icon i just felt that in that way the film just made me feel uncomfortable like yeah. it was sort of you know snm bar leather clad gay men like wrecking his house and taking loads of cocaine and that's where the problem is but back when he was hanging out with his sort of clean cut straight band members who've got like wives and kids who don't like the fact that he's having big parties everything was going much better for queen like again i think it has something to do with the fact that it's a film produced by surviving members of Queen and they're allowed to portray themselves as cleanly as they like in that respect. But it just made me feel a bit uncomfortable. Didn't stop me enjoying it because, as I say, like I love the songs of Queen and the vibe, mm. but it's a film that, for me, throws up more questions than answers mm. about like credibility. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that was most disappointing for me was just the fact that I didn't really feel like I learned anything about Freddie Mercury's story or Queen. Like, the things I knew going into the film were he used to work at Heathrow. Yeah, he wrote some songs. He, he got AIDS and then, you know, Live Aid. And then, I guess, it's, you know, he dies eventually, isn't he? But that's mm. beyond the film. But what, I don't know, I didn't really learn anything else about... I didn't Their know about story. his her heritage or his uh, much about his upbringing and where he came. I didn't realise that. Um, but did yeah, you he's get from an in Indian family? You didn't get much of his upbringing though in the film, did you? No. But Let's be again, honest. Like, it's a nod to it. Like it's yeah. like we were saying about it being a Wikipedia entry. You yeah. get that much of it. Yeah, and that's the other thing which I sort of found frustrating with it. And this is just slightly going back to what you were saying before about the chemistry and interaction between Freddie Mercury and the rest of the band I've spoken to a few people who are quite knowledgeable about Queen and they've said that they used to like have like real problems in this too, like serious fallings out and bickerings and disagreements on songs in this again it was very like kind of glossed over they just have like a little argument and then it'll be fine again like I don't think it really dived into or dealt with too much of the inner workings of that band and how things sort of fell apart and then maybe came back together again that well well i think that's that has been one of the big criticisms of the film hasn't it and you've touched on this day that it is kind of whitewashed it's brian may and roger taylor and i don't know if um, what's his name is it john deacon i yeah. don't know if he's been involved as well but it is the surviving members of queen who have produced the film have like signed off on the script 
I mean, they do come off really well. I certainly came up, one of the things I felt coming out of it was like, Brian May is a great guy. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, that may well be true, but it does paint a very rosy picture. And you do just wonder whether there's things that are left out or it's quite a selective portrait of Queen and well, of what happened. It's got to be, but I think there's got to be, uh, you know, for all the reasons we said it, it's so, it, it moves at such a pace and there's so little uh, detail about anything. Uh, but but yeah, you know, I think actually the rest of the, the band members, they're kind of nondescript in it. They're, they're sort of like sitcom-y, really, supporting roles mm. in a sort of sitcom, just occasionally kind of p- piping in with something useful. We'll probably get on, I guess, in a bit into the further detail on the actual film, you know, into the performances. But I did actually think the guy who played Brian May was really good. And there's a lot of the times I did just feel like I was watching the actual Brian May just the way he looked and sounded, like the way he spoke, it was so like... The look of all of them was incredible. Yeah. Gwilym Lee yeah. is the name of the yeah. guy who played Prime but yeah, he was great. It's a film, another film that we're talking about that has been in like production purgatory for a long time. And Sasha Baron Cohen was attached to it at one point. And apparently one of the reasons that he walked was because he had disagreements with the surviving members of Queen who were producing it about what their vision for the story was going to be and mm. the fact that they were not going to be showing a bit more of like the sort of outrageousness of the bands and a bit more of the the reality of it. Well, I mean, I, I was quite excited about it when I heard that he was attached because I, I think he's amazing. Not that the guy who, was it Remy? Remy Malik. Remy Malik, yeah. Wasn't, but again... But you, again, love, you like, love him. I, I love Sasha Barco, <laughs> but also... The fact you're that in he, love with him that he wa- yeah so Sasha quite, if you're listening the whole production was quite interesting wasn't it because Brian Singer is still down as the director on IMDb and mm. I don't know I didn't actually notice is, is, does he come up in the yeah, credits he is. he's, he's got he, sole credit he was yeah. sacked wasn't he mm. yeah. like a decent chunk before the end of yeah. the film facing for just not turning up which is odd but yeah, quite an odd director anyway to yeah, get I mean, involved it in that film I've, the one thing I think that's good about it is it doesn't for me anyway it didn't feel like it suffered with like production purgatory if you like because i think the actual execution of it was really well, like really well done i guess the writing the story and the the vision maybe didn't quite align but it doesn't it didn't feel like it had fallen apart anyway i don't think funnily enough actually just thinking about it and thinking about films we've talked about on this podcast something that it, it's almost for queen or did for queen what the Kenzie film did for that story it's like it's almost a similar kind of Britishy kind of quite spice worldy, like <laughs> <laughs> quite like, but, but overall just quite strange reference. Overall quite enjoyable, but, but obviously like we'll, cele- we'll disagree with that. A celebration more than a biopic. Yeah, de- it, I, yeah, I definitely don't think it was a biopic. I wouldn't. I'd call it more of a sort of yeah musical light musical. Hang on, actually, is this a musical that you enjoyed? Because you told me categorically that you hate all musicals. Well, slightly different. No, I don't hate all musicals, but I generally speaking <laughs> don't like films where there are long periods of music, which is sort of central to the plot. Like you know at the mean? end of this film. Well, no, because that's just you're just watching a musical performance. Aren't it you? is different. You're not, it's not it like the different. lyrics aren't relevant okay. to the plot. I know what you mean, though. It's like it's it's not really a biopic, is it? Or it's like it's it's, it's sort neither of, a musical or a biopic. It's sort of it? halfway no. between Mamma Mia and something like and like First <laughs> Man. <Something> better. <laughs> <laughs> Mamma Mia meets First Man. <laughs> like a more serious biopic story. I think it'd be a good time now to talk about the performances. I think at this point. 
um, because... Well, actually, I'm in charge of this, mate. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I was going to say, who's taken over as presenter? <laughs> um, but I think it might be a good time to talk about the performances. <laughs> so, um, Ollie, what do you want to say? Well, I just, I just want to say that I thought uh, Remy Malik was superb as, as Freddie Mercury. Like, he just nailed everything about it, like the look, the movement, the performances, even like just the... There's that really great sequence in the um, at the press conference when he starts sort of spinning out a bit, but there's like close-ups of him there with his aviators on, and you can you could just be looking at Freddie Mercury, like it was so convincing. The one worry I have about it is because I think it's an amazing performance, but because he's not surrounded by an amazing film, that he won't get the sort of credit. He deserves that role in regards to award season and things like that. Because I think I think the performance is strong enough for him to be a contender for awards. But I don't think the film itself is. So I don't know if that will hinder his For me, he does carry the film. Like if you if if it was a different actor with a with a poor performance in that role, yeah. then it would be in all sorts of trouble. Because yeah. it does have so many other problems. But yeah. his performance is so strong. Yeah. And the music of Queen is so good that it, you know, that it, it kind of muddles three for me. <laughs> I was just imagining you in the lead role. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have done just it. Just a stuck-on yeah, mustache. Yeah. Just like, I thought I was doing First Man. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done it. I mean, I, yeah, I, as I say, I'm not a huge fan of Queen. You know, knew certain things about Freddie Mercury, but I was, I was very invested in his story in this. But another, another reason why the film has been criticised is for some quite major inaccuracies in the story. So, uh, well, a couple of quite big ones. Freddie Mercury wasn't the first member of Queen to make a solo album. That's obviously quite a big part of the sort of final act of the film, or the suggested that he's like tearing the band apart. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have left the film thinking that that's what had happened. No, so Roger Taylor had already made two solo albums, which is a bit weird because he's the drummer, but he'd made uh, two solo albums before Freddie Mercury. So that's not how it happened. Uh, and secondly, he wasn't diagnosed with AIDS before Live Aid. He wasn't diagnosed with AIDS until 1987. Well, I'll, I'll ask you the question. I mean, how important is it, do you think, to have accuracy in these kinds of films? Does it let down the film to, to have those inaccuracies or is it just kind of necessary to, to tell a story? I think if you're telling the story about true people, you need to be honest about things like that. Because I I would have left the... I did leave the film not knowing those two things that you just said. And I would have thought it happened a different way. Why did yeah, they I, leave them out then? Like, what, just to, just because they had this narrative how they wanted yeah. the film to go? Because well, it makes for a better and story, it, and it doesn't fit it? Into what, the... Yeah, I mean, what, what's odd? Well, I, as soon as you choose that the film is going to be everything leading, yeah, it starts with them walking up to the stage at Live Aid and then takes you back, doesn't it? It builds up to, to that moment again. Yeah, and Live Aid's the finale. Yeah, as yeah. soon as you decide that's the plot or that's the, the scope of your movie, then I think you just you can't just crowbar in mm. stuff that happened after like well, it, obviously the fact that freddie mercury died of aids so young it defines him in as much as his music well mm. sort of obviously his music but you know, kind of personally I, I don't know it's it's odd well they could they would either have had to end the film with live aid and then in the text afterwards yeah. talk about aids but it would have been a strange film to be to be so much about freddie mercury's life and not include That's it. the aids story so, but then they couldn't have had Live Aid as the big triumphant moment at the end, and then you see him get his diagnosis, and that's the end of the film. We wouldn't have been dancing out of the cinema if that was the case. So it's sort of they've created this framework for the story, and then they have to move things around and condense things to to make it fit. So my thing would be at the beginning of this recording, we said 
one of the things we did learn is the order in which they came up with all the different songs and how that happened. But who's to say that that is yeah, accurate because that <laughs> in many ways fitted very neatly into this narrative of the film. That's true. Well, we could look that up, I suppose. But what, but yeah, I think also like even as I mentioned, the, seeing them the way they wrote Bohemian Rhapsody was really interesting, but I have no idea if that's actually how it happened. The fact that they were quite sceptical about it like the other members of the band, I mean, and then there's sort of like one round. Is that it? Does how leave it, you, it leaves you questioning everything about the film yeah. a bit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Is it? I guess it's how Brian May and uh, Roger Taylor Taylor wanted the band to be remembered and mm. portrayed, so they had control over how these sort of narrative and plot devices were used. Uh, to but keep it, but this will be one of those like lasting the lasting things that people reference when they think about Queen, especially like a new generation of people coming into it, like this will be their reference point of like, that's how it happened mm. because it's being sold as a, as a biopic. So I think if you're doing that to Tony's point, you can't just move events and facts around. If that's what you're going to say, if they'd come out and said, it's a semi fictionalized version of what happened. Yeah. Because we want to get the music of Queen out to more people and tell this amazing story mm. of how we got to live aid. I think that would be a different a different thing. Yeah, it's yeah, almost like a right, like yeah. mythology rather than a biopic. But I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with it because I think that's always going to be the case in any biopic, any true story. You mm. do have to move things around to make for a better story. But I mean, those are quite major things. To, to be, like certainly the AIDS diagnosis is quite a significant thing to change. But it also it leads me on a bit to talk about like my, what for me is the biggest failing of the film, which is that I thought it was all just quite clunky and heavy handed. And certainly in the first like half an hour, like I, I really came round to the film by the end. And as you say, Tony, like the live aid set at the end was really well done and it, it leaves on, it leaves you on a big high. But the first half an hour, I was really not, in, I was kind of cringing because I just found the, the script like very, it felt like a first draft to me, which is weird because it's been in production hell for so long presumably they've had a few goes at the script but what i mean is like all those little things that they had to like manipulate so when um they lose their lead singer and freddie mercury turns up and it, it, I, I can't remember the exact wording of it but it was just very clunkily done like mm. oh we're looking for a lead singer actually you know and then when he goes out on stage and you and starts singing and you initially they like hurl abuse at him the crowd but then you sort of hear them go like oh he's quite good actually like all those <laughs> yeah. things it's just like this is quite sixth form the way this it feels like a sort of sixth form play it got better it settled down but a lot of those things were those things that they had to change were or like things that they boxes that they had to check for the queen's story it was all just very like visible the the seams of the story were visible to me in the script and i found that quite tough at least to begin with has anyone seen we will rock you yeah, I have actually. What like, I've not seen it. What do they? Is it do they attempt to do a similar thing? No. So we will rock you is a completely sort of standalone story based in a. Uh, if I recall it correctly, I watched it probably about over fifteen years ago. But like in a, a post-apocalyptic world, they use the the power of music and stuff like that to fight back against. Um, almost like a sort of fascist rule. Right, the power um, of Queen-based music. So that is like Mamma Mia, it's the same idea yeah, so as Mamma Mia. Yeah, so they just use the songs to yeah. tell a, a different story. It's very much a musical, yeah. which is, you know, as you say, different. We Will Rock You, I think, with what they've ended up with with this film, 
good as it is, as much as I enjoyed it, you know, I'm, I'm making no qualms with the fact that I really enjoyed it. We Will Rock You, I think, would have been a better way if they just wanted to celebrate the music of Queen and get it out to people had they made that because it's completely fictional. I really enjoyed it. I know I like musicals and I was quite young when I watched it. Probably if I went and watched it now, I might be like, ooh, that's cringe. But um, yeah, I think that could have been like a really interesting idea. But now they've made this film, presumably they'll never make We Will Rock You because it would just be another film with all the songs of Queen in it. Well, I don't know though. I mean, like Queen now kind of coming back into culture like yeah brian singer somewhere just like yes yeah. opportunity to make the film i wanted do, but, you, do you think it would have been a better film had it had less in the middle and, and a bit more at the end um what do you hang on what do you mean by so that? as in like they had extended it a bit further and done obviously done what happened after live aid i know we've already spoken about this do you think it would have made for a better film though if they had maybe taken a bit of the middle out or the start, which wasn't great, and then replaced it with a sort of more stronger emotional ending? Or I do think, you think I the think fact it, that it ends on such a high is a good way of finishing it? It just depends on the tone. If they're going to keep the tone the way they did throughout this film, I don't know if it would have got any better because I feel like they probably would have just approached what's quite a sensitive subject in probably quite a clunky way and it probably wouldn't have come across very well. If it were a different type of film, yeah, they should have had that end stuff and I would have wanted to see it but with the film that it was I don't think had they gone into you know his death and things like that they would have been able to handle it properly well properly is the wrong word I'm not sure if they would have handled it with the sort of care that it should have been approached with Mm. just going back to the performances it's quite an interesting cameo Mike Myers turns up at one point like uh, fresh off the set of Halloween. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we keep using that gag, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I should have... Timeless. Uh, should have said Michael Myers turns up at one point. Um, no, it's... It, well, we, we talked about this before we started recording, but I don't think any of us realised who he was. Like, we, we all saw in the credits at the beginning, Mike Myers. And I, well, certainly I was like, oh, mm. Mike Myers is in this? And I was kind of looking out for him. Still didn't spot who it was. Even though he's wearing a mask. <laughs> um, yeah he's the uh the the record exec yeah. right the emi executive what did you make of his uh of his I, appearance the thing is once i knew it was mike myers it kind of what yeah once i knew it, it sort of detracted a bit because it felt like it was a did you of, work it out in no, the no, film no, it was in afterwards after when i was thinking about right. it so once i knew that it was him it kind of felt a bit naff that it was Why? him just because of the whole like Wayne's World link, like it just felt like it was a kind of oh, it'd be really cool if we put Mike Myers in as the record a bit on the nose. Yeah, it just didn't quite. When he doesn't, he literally say like teenagers aren't going to go around banging their heads to yeah. that. Yeah, I think because the character is a bit of a nonsense, casting Mike Myers in the role, it just adds more to the sort of like ridiculousness of it. Whereas if they had just a sort of a genuine actor in there, it could have come across as sort of slightly more dramatic as opposed to just like loads of like winking yeah <laughs> yeah although again it's interesting because i didn't realize it was him at the time but now looking back i do kind of think yeah it is again it's a little bit like clunky uh, like he says at one point like scaramouche yeah can you do the fandango like i don't I, know I, no I, one's gonna listen to that like it was all just very very on the nose yeah Yeah, i had my myers radar out from the, <laughs> from the moment i saw his name in the credits because i was like oh 
is he going to appear as himself for once or is he going to be something nonsense? And when that character appeared, I was like, and there it is. And again, it's probably one of the, another one of the reasons why like it played into my unease throughout mm. watching it because I was just like, oh dear. I quite like that scene. Uh, one of the one of the people in it though that made me think, made me or give me that sort of Spice Worldy feel, even though I've just checked, I don't <laughs> think it's in Spice World, uh, is uh, the guy who plays Jim Beach. <laughs> My, or Miami Beach oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's great who, who is like, yeah he's really likeable I really like it when he pops up in films I've never known Tom Hollander yeah his name. Okay. I've never known his Put name in the loop yeah uh, he's in the night manager as well yeah but he just I don't know his presence just lent it a bit of an air of that combined with the shot the cutaways of people watching Live Aid in the pub uh, yeah which I found really annoying it just looks it was so lame when they were like there's like a bunch of people in the pub going like <laughs> like yeah. clapping on the head that whole thing just made it sort of seem like a, a sort of cheap British movie yes yeah which well, may be a bit harsh on Tom I quite like yeah. <laughs> Tom's like a very uh, yeah, but well he, established actor I quite enjoyed him in it I must say I wasn't yeah no I didn't dislike him in it but it just no I know what you it mean that, it's it that air of it started like, to feel a bit ITV now like, no offence to you but it started to feel a bit ITV yeah a bit like, like a made for TV movie <laughs> poor but, Tom Hollander's like sat home like oh, this is probably my biggest break I'm getting out there in front of millions of people and Tony's like yeah it just made it feel like it was for <laughs> <laughs> but that's stranger because I don't, I don't know who made the film or is it American or British, I think like, it's an American production because I mean it's just odd that Brian Singer was down to direct it. I don't know. I I find that a bit strange. It'd be kind of like it's getting 20, sorry, it's twentieth century Fox. Yeah, so yeah, American production. Yeah, like uh, getting getting like Michael Bay to direct like the <laughs> the, 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 the like I don't know the story of you two or something. <laughs> <laughs> be, I don't know the Wayne Brothers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Wayans Brothers doing a Stone Roses movie. <laughs> 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 I would love to see that made. Anything else you want to talk about? Any final thoughts? Did you, after watching it, have you gone back and been listening to Queen a lot? Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. I have as well, yeah. Do you know, like, I'm, I'm obviously not a massive Queen fan because I must have never seen their Live Aid set in full mm. because I don't think I've ever heard that song, Hammer to Fall. No, you're right, actually, because I watched the Live Aid set in full after watching Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, and it's quite a good song, actually. It's a great yeah. song, but it seems it hasn't been one but, that's yeah, kind of never survived in the same way as the all other. the like Ew! and all that stuff yeah. gets played all the time, doesn't it? And then like Radio Gaga. Can I ask a question about that? Because I haven't actually watched the the full performance. Um, is it the same song order as in the film? Uh, yes, so, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. So, okay, so that's as it was. But I think there is because they actually they played at like six o'clock UK time. But it, it's, it's, it seems like it's like the middle of the day or quite early on in Live Aid in the film. And it, it also gave the, I don't know if, the, again, I don't know if this was the case, but it gave the idea that the whole thing was a bit of a flop until yeah. Queen yeah. started playing. That was a bit weird actually as well, because I left the film thinking like, oh yeah, you know, Live Aid, obviously it's just all about Queen. And then I thought about it and actually the band that I associate Live Aid with is U2. Yeah, that's what I really? always think of, yeah, U2. Yeah. I, I Actually, I looked it up, I couldn't tell you another band that played Live Aid. Really? I mean, they Queen. list them all. <laughs> no, okay. Like, <laughs> it's an amazing list. Of, it's an amazing list, actually, yeah. when they're trying to convince them to play Live Aid. Yeah. He's like, everyone's playing Jagger, Bob Dylan, Bowie. And he goes, REO Speedwagon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... But yeah, if you'd asked me last same. week who'd play, who play Live I mean, I probably could have come up with that, but Queen is undoubtedly, yeah, the... 
Yeah. I, th- I think it, I would have said U2 and Queen, but probably like U2 in my head are like, they're the ones who kind of stole the show. But then I guess U2 weren't as famous before that as Queen. U2 kind of became massive because of Live Aid. Yeah. But Queen, it was because it was the comeback show, mm. wasn't it, yeah. as well? But they, because there's a bit in the, when they're in the um, offices during Live Aid where um, the Bob Geldof character, whoever's playing him. Bob Geldof, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, I think he says something like they've how they've had zero donations oh yeah and then all of a sudden queen start playing and then the money comes but i can't imagine that was the case well, that's another bit that goes back to what i was talking about about the script and all the kind of clunky stuff that yeah it was just like it cuts to everyone picking up the phones and they're like hello live aid like, <laughs> yeah no, exactly. money starts yeah. pouring and it's like this is a bit silly it also made me go back and check out who played live eight do you remember that oh yeah, oh, yeah. in 2005 black eyed yeah. peas Potentially, yeah, I don't remember. But uh, do you remember uh, Pete Doxey playing with Elton John? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that? actually, that yeah. does ring a bell. Live 8 included George Michael, who appeared with Paul McCartney and sung Drive My Car. Keen played. Oh. Joss Stone. <laughs> Razor Light. <laughs> They're back now. Mm. Scissor Sisters. Miss Dynamite. <laughs> Miss Dynamite. Miss Dynamite Ehe. Yeah. Um, yeah, what Snoop Dogg? It just wasn't. Sorry, state of affairs, isn't yeah. it? When you compare it to that original lineup. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, it hasn't quite. Yeah, it hasn't quite embedded itself in culture in the same way, has it? Live Eight. No, no, not in any way. It's quite scary, actually. Gary Barley, it's already probably. thirteen years ago. <laughs> Terrifying stuff. Uh, uh, time. I wonder what Joss Stone's doing now. Yeah, she does. She listen to the show? Do you reckon? She probably has her own podcast. To be fair, yeah. everyone's wildly got one. more successful. <laughs> Uh, all right well that's kind of brings us towards the end what are we talking about next time uh you can introduce this one adam because you're a harry potter fan of harry potter little harry potter wizards it's fantastic beasts and where to find them too the crimes of grindelwald i thought it was two films we were doing i can't find time for that uh, and you, you've you've stated that you're going to go and see this film, yeah, time, even though you're not a Harry Potter nerd like me, hundred percent. And then we'll be wrapping up the year with uh, Tony's pick of the year, I think, one you're really looking forward to. <laughs> I don't, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> Mortal Engines. Yeah. yeah, quite excited about that. Mm. It's good that someone is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to see the film. I've already seen the trailer. So yeah, it's the whole. Have, you, have you seen the new trailer? It played when I went to war. What was the last? I went before First Man. I think mm. they played it in full. Uh, and I, but I, my, I closed my eyes and my ears. That's, a, that's definitely yeah. the thing to do. Really def- they need stupid. to rein it in. Yeah. They do need to rein it in. Maybe that's what we should do at the start of twenty eighteen and uh, nineteen. The start of twenty nineteen. Uh, for the first thing, it's, like it's like a mantra, a, 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 a to-do list for film people. Sorry, the big problem with trailers is not necessarily that I'm watching them at home. It's that they show the five-minute-long ones in the cinema. Yeah. So, like, you, you just can't, can't get away from it. Mm. Like the Aquaman trailer, which is like five minutes long, and it like it looks rubbish, but it looks <laughs> even worse for having such a long trailer because I'm like, well, I've seen the entire plot most of the action set pieces stop it stop showing mm. everything there's a there's an art to trailers and i think that hereditary they're being ruined that's a good like, example it's like christmas ads which are just like absolute nonsense year in year out like no one is really like devoting the proper sort of creative resources and effort into them these days i don't feel like everyone's just like get me a john lewis ad Mm. it's the same with trailers it's like make sure you show absolutely everything (laughs) so that absolutely everyone will want to come and watch it it's like don't just 
tease me. Mm. Just tease me. I think you've just shot down any chance we ever had of voicing the John Lewis ad. <laughs> well, it's not come out yet, so I could still yet be doing the song for that. I think that should be the, the pre... The uh, cold open. I was just going to say that. Just tease me. Okay. <laughs> clip that out. Just tease me. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm, just, I'm so frustrated. Oh, no, it's stupid, isn't it? I mean, Look, what are they showing guys, before? everyone should understand that we, we're recording this immediately after Man United lost the Manchester derby. <laughs> Dave's quite upset about a lot of things. No, because even the Fantastic Beast one that we're going to watch, like the other day when we were in the cinema, that was like a five minute long trailer and we mm. saw, like, is it, they don't, they feel the need to show you something from every single stage of the film. It's like, I know where the end battle is going to be. I know there's going to be a chase in the sky. Like, you just want to be teased. I we just understand want one, this. one minute limit. That's it. Just a minute, one minute. Just a and bit. Just give yeah. a few bits. Don't need a lot. Because like the, the Force Awakens trailer, the original one, was really good. Yeah. Because that was just snippets. Didn't give too much away. I like, uh, yeah. They need someone needs to do something about it. Yeah. yeah. It's ruining film. Yeah. Enjoyment of film, especially <laughs> when you can't escape it because it's on in front of in, in you know before the film it's quite nice though when you you definitely know you don't you're not going to watch the film it's a film <laughs> yeah. you're not going to watch rather like the book club well <laughs> but then you, you you just you feel like you've seen it. it's like a, actually like yeah. a film in two minutes yeah. like the Mary, the new mary poppins i feel like as someone who works in marketing like it's a classic example of giving people what you want as the people who've made the film be like oh, i want to show this off to like literally everyone as opposed to giving people what they want mm. which is just a snippet Mm. to make them want to go to the, mm. see the film. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It is ruining film, which seems like a good place to leave it for our film podcast. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we'll be back soon to talk about Fantastic Beasts. Until then, take care out there. We'll see you soon. Ciao. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. need a kush for my laptop hello oh hello very loud isn't it hello 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 that's ollie's cable keep on talking that's yeah 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 it's fine that's better better there yeah put you up to seven what am i rocking
up to 11. You're on a six. We're all on a six, six apart from Dave. Dave needs a bit of a boost. Oh, yeah. Dave needs my, a bit more. The audio name. covenant of the booster seat. I, I'm Dave and I want more. <laughs> my little voice. <laughs> I don't like sitting too close to the microphone. <laughs> pathetic little voice. See, so if you're a prize winner, Dave, you could be on a six, but... It's up to seven, I unfortunately. Though, it's either like here, yeah. or you're like, Pat, just get a bit close. He's like, yeah, so I think... Uh, <laughs> How are your headphones, Dave, this time? I don't like these ones. I think we all know that. (laughs) Would you you rather have these? I think we all know that. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Have you got any of these kind of headphones at home you could bring? Uh, I've got some... No, not like these. I'll tell you what we could do. I've got got Beats by Dre's, which... Sennheiser do a really nice set, and they're £14 a pair, and they're really good. Oh, right. That'd be ideal. Yeah. It's not bad at all. We'll send a link for you. We can uh, invest in some, I'm sure. Okay. (laughs) Beats by Dre. Two hundred and fifty pound headphones. Uh, uh, I didn't. My dad got them at like a Beats. conference or something. No, no, I, no, no sorry. I thought you meant buy Beats for this specifically. <laughs> yeah. I was like, That's a nice pair. Actually. No, Beats, no, <laughs> no I, I got, yeah, so I got given Beats. a pair. Yeah, we can sorry, use the yeah. podcast fund. Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> what about this? <laughs> yeah, the B and B and A or B and W. Yeah, I'm going to need a car Is as there well. Anything else we want to plug before we start? Sorry, I've got a proper trailer rant there, but no, it just, it just very, really does annoy it's, it's me. Good. It's very, very worthwhile. <laughs> very entertaining. Just tease me. Just tease me. <laughs> <laughs>